0: To forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is a founder and director of the Merciful Service of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here is Pastor Brad. Well, good morning, everyone. I apologize for a couple of minutes late to start here, but it's good to see you this morning. And we are going to pick up. This uh, great story of Jesus in his last night, in this discourse with his apostles in John chapter 16, and we're going to pick up at verse 12, where we left off, and look through 12 through 22 today, but before we do that, let's pray our prayer, If you have your prayer with you there, let's uh, ask the Lord's guidance before we study. Illumine our hearts, O Master, Lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. As we look to the Gospel story this morning, I introduced it last week by Jesus' words in verse 12, where we left off his final words to them with this, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think this is a fascinating comment of Jesus, and I think it's one we do well to stop and really think about. What is Jesus really saying to them And its implication not just to them but to the whole church Mm -hmm. and what we understand as the revelation of God and what we understand as the role of the church. So there's a lot here in just these few words that we're going to take some time to discuss. Yes? He
1: has to transform the transformation to the Holy Spirit to save everybody and
0: the work that God wanted him to do yeah the 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 thought Jackie that you're right on there that he has to tra- the, he has to transition I'll yeah, say from his physical presence hi good morning good to have you here from his physical presence to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, and that is critical to our understanding we're going to talk a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit this morning because Jesus, Tells us a lot about him. Now I want to read for you this, these verses twelve through twenty-two, and then let's uh, let's stop and discuss them. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whoever he, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no more. Again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while, you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he means. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she is delivered of the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a child is born into the world. So you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. It's a beautiful promise, that last verse. No one will take your joy from you. Love that thought. Something we should keep in the forefront of our minds. No one can steal our joy as Christians. You know, as Christians, we should be the most joyful people in the world. And no one or no thing can steal our joy. And I think that's so important for us. Uh, I guess I should wait to the end since that's the last verse to teach that. But when I read that line, I just kind of want to, to emphasize that. So let's come back to the beginning at verse 12. And let's consider what it is that Jesus is trying to share with them. These are, these are 11 disciples we know them as apostles because he's going to eventually send them into all the world. The word apostle means one who is sent. We know that the apostles had to were the eyewitnesses. These were the people that were with Jesus the most. And these are the people he poured his teaching into. These eleven men now that Judas has gone. And He knows their hearts are grieved. We've been watching all through since chapter 14, since this last night of his life before the cross began. We've been seeing him. He sees their hearts grieving. He's talking to them very straightforwardly about going away. They don't get it. They don't understand. They think maybe he's going to another country nearby or somewhere. Uh, They just don't get it. And that's, that's okay. They couldn't get it at this point in time. But he's doing his best now to give them a little bit of hope. He's trying to calm their hearts. When he starts talking to them about in a little while you won't see me, in a little while you will, it's kind of a, it's almost from our 2,000 years later, we look back on it and it's almost, if we're not careful, it's a little comical. Well, now you see me, now you don't. But this is serious business. He's trying to give them some Hope to cling to, even though he knows they can't understand it. Have you ever been in a situation where you you feel something that's distressing, and you somebody's trying to give you comfort, and they're trying to give you advice, and they're trying to give you hope, and and you know you hear it, but it just doesn't make the difference in the point of the uh, of the moment. But later, you realize, so that person was, you know, their words were really helpful, and those words were really. Smart and and good for me to hear, you know. That's kind of what this is. They don't hear it yet, but they will hear it soon. And they'll remember all these things. So Jesus is, and the way they're going to remember is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, Jesus just simply says to them, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, you know I've written, I've told you there's a lot of writing in the book of John that reveals to us Trinitarian theology. Critics of Christianity, critics of the Trinitarian theology often say, well, it's just not in the Bible. It's all over in, in the Bible if you know how to look at it. And and this is very, very strong passage about... Some Trinitarian theology because Jesus is about to talk about, he's going to talk about his role, he's gonna talk about the Spirit's role and the Father's role. And in the heat to Jesus, when he thinks of the Holy Spirit, he calls him, he gives him a name right here. He calls him the Spirit of what? Spirit of truth. I think that's very important for us to realize. That wasn't just a name he picked out of the air. He wanted them to know. That when the Spirit comes and when He begins to guide you, and you begin to lead the church, you're going to be pressed on every side to know the truth. Remember, earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus said that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is truth? That's a question Pilate asked Jesus when he stands before him. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus said to us in John 6, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm the life. So what he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit is going to be the agent of that truth. He is truth. He's truth, and he's going to reveal it. He says he will guide you into all truth. Now, there's a Greek word I wrote on the board, Hadzegio, Hadzegio, I think is the best way to say that, Hadzegio. This word is the word that Jesus uses there for guide. Okay, this is the word that he describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he is a guide. Well, what is a guide? You know, how do we guide people? If you ever, uh, if you ever go to Israel, some of you have been there. I know that you have a guide. You know, they they make sure that everyone has a guide. Why? Because the guide knows. What he's talking about, he knows where to go, he knows what to do, he knows how to do it, and he knows the story that you're going to learn when you go to Israel and and learn about the Holy Land and all the many holy sites. Well, that's the that's the type of picture we see here. It's a guide who has great knowledge. So it literally means it could mean it could mean to guide, but it could also mean to teach or instruct. Okay. So a person could guide someone and not really have tons of knowledge. Okay, you you might know, I need a guide to get through a very confusing building and he knows where to take me. But he really doesn't know what's going on in that building. He's just a hired guide that knows how to get me from point A to point B. But this word is so full of meaning, it's more than just a guide. It's a guide who knows everything. It's a guide who is able to instruct and teach. Which is what Jesus has been doing for three years with these guys, right? They've been with Jesus three years, and he's been their constant guide, their constant teacher, their constant instructor. But now he's going away. In fact, he's told them already, as we've studied, I have to go away. I have to go away so that you can have the Holy Spirit come. And so we're going to see unveiled a little bit more here why Jesus has to go away. He has to go away for them to be <coughs> guided into all truth. Now let's talk for a little bit about this idea of receiving or understanding truth. What Jesus is promising them is that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to them. He's going to literally reveal to them, in time, all that they need to know. Remember a couple of weeks, week or two ago, he said... um, he he said that he the Holy Spirit is uh, the, the he's going not not just be the guide, he he can lead them into all things, all truth. Okay, where we ask the question, where is that truth today? I want you to ask that question, I'm gonna write it on the board. Where is that, I'm gonna underline the word that, truth, today? Okay, where is that truth today? We're gonna come we're gonna come back to that question. Okay. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Because he is promising them, Jesus is promising these eleven disciples, they're going to receive all truth. Yes, Jackie? Would the truth be like in our space
1: or um, I'll try and think of sent me like, We know it, it's like something you can't really describe.
0: I'm going to let you think on it for a little while, and I'm going to come back to it, because I, I think you're going to be interested in how your mind starts to dwell on it. It's not a quick, easy answer. <clears throat> Where is that truth today? But we'll, we'll get the answer before the end of the hour. Now, I think it's important that we understand Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. He didn't just say he'll guide you into truth. He will guide you into <clears throat> all truth, is what Jesus promised So these disciples are going to find themselves after Pentecost leading a movement which is called the Church of Jesus Christ into all the world, and they need to know all the truth. Not just a part of it. This is one of the things that is so challenging to be a preacher or a teacher of God's Word because God's Word is so big. It is so immense. It is so deep. It is so rich. It is so full. And the truth is, no human teacher could ever know it all. We just can't. And I I feel so woefully inadequate when I get up here to teach this stuff. And and I want to just delve deeper and deeper and deeper to try and help you come along deeper and deeper and deeper. And I realize my own human limitations. Because here's the reality. The, The revelation of God, any revelation of God is limited only by our human ability to receive it. God has no limitations, but we as humans have big limitations, don't we? Okay. Why do we go to school for 12 years from kindergarten through first grade through 12th grade? Okay. Why? Whoever decided, well, it took 12 years. And, and why did it? Why in every one of those years do you have to repeat so much of the same stuff over and over? Because we're limited in our capacity to receive and understand. Okay, you don't you don't teach algebra. Probably a bad example because I'm not smart enough to talk about algebra. <laughs> but you don't teach these fancy theorems, uh, algebraic. Theorems, equations, or whatever they're called, to the first year student, you start with a plus b equals c, and if a is two and b is three, what is c? (laughs) You know, and you only get there because they first learn how to add and subtract. So you you begin. Their mind. There are probably some genius kids out there. I wasn't one of them, but that that could start with the, you know, the, whatever, equation or theorem. By and large, the smartest among us is still limited because we are human. We are finite beings. And the Holy Spirit of God is wanting to give all truth into the minds and hearts of these disciples. Because they are, as we're going to hear, the foundation of the church. Now, I'm going to challenge you a little bit this morning as I've tried to do several times in this study of the Gospel of John. And I just said it a couple of weeks ago. I said something a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Mark was in here, and he was intrigued by what I said when I said to you that the uh, the fact that, you know, between the ages of 19 and 29, only 20% of the people go to church at all. And... If they were raised in church, that number is only 4 out of 10, 40%. And you might think, well, that's twice as many. But the truth is, that's woefully bad. That means fully 60% of people between the ages of 19 and 29 do not go to church at all, nor want to. Okay. Now, I said to you, I said, that's not just a problem, that's an epidemic, You know, if we had 60% of the population with any particular problem, we would call it an epidemic, right? Um, 60% of that that population in that group, young people today. And I made the comment, I said, it's because I truly believe we don't understand the church. We've lost, if we ever had it in our generation, and I'm putting myself and all of us in this room in the same relative generation. If we ever had it, we've lost it. And I'm not sure we ever really had it because I'm not sure exactly when it was lost. But trust me, it was lost. Most churches today do not teach nor understand the true nature of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what John is talking about. And this is exactly what John reveals as we go through his his last words of Jesus into the lives of these apostles. They need the Holy Spirit. They need the Holy Spirit, and they need to know that he's going to guide them into all truth. And they can't receive it now. They're limited, just like you and I are right here today. I mean, they're limited. He's saying, you guys can't bear it now. I've got lots of things I want to tell you. I've got lots of things I want to teach you, but you can't bear it now. When will they be able to bear it? When they receive the Holy
1: Spirit.
0: When they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They will then be in a place where they can bear it, but again, they're not going to—they're not going to get it all at once, okay? Because they're going to be out there reacting and ministering and teaching, and the Holy Spirit. I I love the line in the Book of Acts when it says, when when in the Book of Acts it it says that uh, it says, "Do not do not worry what you will say." I can't give you the chapter and verse. It's early on in the book of Do not worry what you will say, for at the appropriate time, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. There we see that guiding, that teaching, that, you know, they didn't have everything from A to Z figured out, boom, like a miraculous instantaneous knowledge on the day of Pentecost, the very minute they were filled. But because they were open to the Holy Spirit and filled with that Holy Spirit... They were surrendered completely to that Holy Spirit. God began to impart into them wisdom, the wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of the church, the wisdom of God in, in a way that is very special. Those apostles were very, very special. And I come back to my question, what is it? where is that truth today? He gave it to them. Every one of them is dead, and we're living 2,000 years later. Is that truth, is that deposit of wisdom still out there? Well, the first answer most people come up with is what? To answer this. Where is that truth today? Where is that deposit of wisdom today? The
1: Bible.
0: First answer most people give is the Bible. Amen. Because it it is the Word of God, and it is a living Word, and it is a a very special, holy book. But, But this book... That we call the Bible, and let's just deal with the 27 books of the New Testament. Okay, that's really that that didn't come about. They didn't know that. Peter, Paul, James, these guys hadn't even written it yet, those first few decades. They were in the process as the Holy Spirit was working them, as the Holy Spirit's guiding them. They're writing things down, and He's leading them. And these books are collected then over a period of not just decades, but actually centuries. Because the truth was there was lots of books written. Not just these 27 books. There were lots of other gospels. There were lots of other epistles. And over a period of time, remember there was no printing press, they're just scrolls, and maybe they get copied, and maybe so let's say we walked up to, let's say Mark here. Mark is a Mark is a early second century bishop of the church means he's a leader of the churches, and he has many uh, ministers that work under him. And uh, oh, I, if we go to Mark and I say, Mark, where's your Bible? Bishop Mark, where's your Bible? He's going to scratch his head and look at me and say, what are you talking about? I don't have a Bible. What do you have? How do you know all this stuff? How, you, how did Bishop Mark in the second century get any wisdom of the church without the 27 books that we can sit down and just pour ourselves through and study? How do you get it?
1: Through the Holy Spirit and through telling.
0: The Holy Spirit told through who? He's, a, he's an office. He's an ordained bishop. He's, a, he's leader of the church. The Holy Spirit, he's out there starting churches. Him. Okay. It's has his, So, so is, is the same promise that Jesus made to these 11, he will guide you into all truth. So maybe, can we say that that promise transferred to Bishop Mark Mm -hmm. somehow? Yes, through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah. Why is it so important that we say that?
1: Because that's the only way it will
0: happen. It's the only way it's going to get passed on, okay? It's the only way. This idea of what we call... What the ancient church called, and what we still should call, apostolic succession is critical. It's critical to our understanding that the church of Jesus Christ wasn't fully mature and fully settled and fully everywhere and er all things by the end of the first century when the last apostle died. Which was John, the writer of this book. He was the last one to die. He died in old age, somewhere around the year 100, 105. We don't know when he died exactly. Most of them were dead (laughs) 20 30 40 years earlier than that by martyr's deaths. So as they died did where did that tr- where did that truth go? Where did that deposit of wisdom go? It had to go somewhere.
1: Written down in history on books.
0: Three, Not yet. Some of it is written down and that's why we have that's why we hold down and we revere these 27 books as holy because they down. are the wisdom of God. Yeah. A lot of it even began word of mouth. But here's where I'm leading you. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Okay? Acts chapter 1. We're just going to take a little time to digress a few scriptures here. Acts chapter 1. Very important passage. So Jesus has given them the commission to go into all the world. But he says, first you need to go into Jerusalem and you need to wait. Wait. You need to wait until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit or the power from on high. And they don't know what that looks like yet. But they're just meeting together. They're in the upper room. They're meeting together. And um, I'm going to pick this story up here in verse maybe um, 15. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren a gathering of about 120 persons was there. And he said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Now that's King David back in the Old Testament, some, you know, 700 years earlier or whatever, by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So Peter is saying that scripture that David wrote, which would have been in the book of Psalms, prophesied about or foretold about Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And then he quotes the scripture, verse 17. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. So he's actually quoting, I think, Psalm 69 there, maybe. Um, Could have that number wrong. So then verse 18. Now this man, this is parenthetical, it says here, that now this man, meaning Judas, acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakaldama, the field of blood. And then verse 20, he quotes Psalm 69. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it. And, this is a very important and, his office... Let another man take. Written in Psalms, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, about the life of Judas. Let his office. Now, in the in the Greek, that word office is the word bishopric or episcopos. We would translate in English bishop. The word episcopos, okay? Judas, the apostles, were considered episcopos which meant overseers. That's what a bishop is—an overseer. Okay, and it says, "Let his." I think the King James actually says it that way. Let his bishopric another man take. Did you see? Did I see a hand over here? Yeah, jump in, Tess. Uh, closer to where you started, the word "guide" is used again. The word "guide" is used again. Yeah. Which verse are you looking at? Oh, I see it, verse 16, <laughs> verse 16, yeah, yeah. <laughs> became a guide. Now, we'd we'd want to look that up in the Greek and see if it's the exact same usage in the Greek. Sometimes in English and Greek, they're different. I don't know if it is, but it might be. Um, but do you see what's happening here? Judas, even though he turned out to be a traitor, the role in the office was very important. Mm-hmm. You see? this is this this has to be passed on we need to keep this office of the apostles filled and moving so not only did they do it with his death but then we can understand through history no, it's not recorded in the bible but in history in the New testament it's not recorded that the each one of them as they died this mantle this office of the bishopric is passed on to oversee the church why because we would we would have chaos without it God created the church with order. He created the church with leaders and teachers. You read the writings of the Apostle Paul and you see that he goes to great length to teach Timothy in his letters and Titus how to how the church should operate, how a minister should live and a minister should operate, the, the presbyters of the church, all of these things. God has beautiful order. Yes? Right, I'm a little confused.
1: Okay. Um in verse 18 19 they're talking about Judas yes who betrayed Jesus yes then in, and it says that uh, he fell into the field of blood okay then verse 20 says for it is written in the book of Psalms may his place be deserted let there be no one to dwell in it now are they referring to the field where Potter's field yes. Okay. Then it says his
0: homestead. It says basically. Orissia. Okay. Then
1: it says may another take his place of leadership.
0: That would be is the he office for the, to the Antichrist. No, 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 no. Not at all. Okay, not at I'm all. No, no, no. No. This is referring to... no. 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 Let me. another. No, no. What he's saying is don't don't jump ahead there. Okay. He's saying this field of blood. This, this place where Judas lived. This place where Judas bought this. It's going to be desolate. It just it's cursed. Okay, in that sense. And I think they went on and made it into a cemetery, I think, if I remember right. But um, no, then he says, let his office another take. And so what do they just follow? What? Read on, and you see what happens here. They elect another apostle, okay? They elect. So read on. Peter says, it is therefore necessary that of all the men who have accompanied us all the time, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up into heaven. It was just 10 days ago. One of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they put forward two men. Yeah. So, but it was very important that it wasn't just anyone. It had to be someone who was witness to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what this teaches us that this office is so important. This, this office of the bishop, the leader, the overseer of the church, because because Christ has promised to give all wisdom to these 11. And there's no way in their lifetime, <laughs> in their short lifetime, in their short few decades of ministry, that all the wisdom that would ever be needed to guide the church of Jesus Christ was fulfilled, and they were able to write it all down, and that's all there would ever be. If that, You see what I'm saying? So it was very important that the order be carried on, the office be carried on. And, and it's so important what we realize now, we have the benefit of history looking back, is that how long did it take these bishops who would grow over time? What we saw happening was in every community, Paul would go out and appoint pastors. He used the word presbyter, or which in the Greek presbyteros, which means elder. Okay. He would set up pastors or presbyters, and that's even where the word priest comes from, the preost. They, they set them up, but then the, there was the bishop who was the overseer. In the beginning, the bishop and the presbyter really are one, and they could be one. But because of growth, they had to become one to oversee many, and then one to oversee many, and then one, you know, it's, it just began to form like cells, and the church began to spread out over the whole world. And so, very soon, there were more than just 11 or 12 bishops. There were many. We get to the, by the year 300. Uh, there are over 300 bishops that come to the very first church council, worldwide church council, that happens in Nicaea. So you see the order of the church. It's built. And you start reading the writings of, of these early church uh, fathers, people that actually studied right under, like St. Ignatius. He's called Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius of Antioch. He became elevated to the office of Bishop of Antioch, which is in you know, Syria, uh, modern day. And he writes about the importance. You read his letters to the, to the uh, he wrote letters to different churches, like these epistles in our Bible he wrote. They're not part of the New Testament, but they're very important historical letters. And we see how the very first tier of bishops that were, that were students of the very apostles themselves, okay, how they're leading the church and how they're defending the church and they're they practicing wisdom. They're leading the church in wisdom because what happens almost right away once the church is out there functioning, Satan begins to attack it. Mm -hmm. And we begin to, even on the pages of the New Testament, we see heresies being raised. What's a heresy? A false teaching. That's right. Trying to lead people astray. And constantly, these apostles and the apostles... Successors are constantly trying to hold the church together and keep things together in the truth. So we had to say, where is that truth? Well, it was in them originally, but they are the foundation of the church. And so I'm gonna take you, take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians to chapter three, and then I'll take this question. Yes. When
1: this was going on with was North America or United States even
0: no, no. This was thousands of years before anyone came over here. This is all way, way back. Chapter three in the book of Ephesians. Now we see perhaps, perhaps the greatest apostle, Paul, who was not even one of the twelve. He's drafted, grafted in, if you will, by a uh a, a visualization. What was I trying to say? A vision of Jesus on his Damascus Road conversion. He becomes. Uh, one of the greatest leaders of the church, he wrote prolifically. You know, three fourths of the New Testament. Much of what we know about church and church order and what we call doctrine of the church, we know from the writings of this man, the Apostle Paul. And we know that God shared His wisdom of the Holy Spirit with him. We know that from the time Paul was converted, he went down to Arabia and spent three years, just just getting in touch with. The wisdom of the Spirit and learning and studying Scripture. I mean, he was already a Pharisee. He had great knowledge of the faith, as it was. But he needed wisdom from the Spirit, and we see his functioning now in the church. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church, and look at what he says in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he says in verse... uh, There's no good place to jump into the middle of a chapter, but I'll try um, he's talking to them about the revelation of the mystery of the church. This is high ecclesiology here. Ecclesiology is the fancy word for the nature of the church. Okay. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes a Christology. He talks about the nature of Christ. And in Ephesians, he talks a lot about the, the, the ecclesiology of the church. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. The Ephesians are not Jews. Those are Gentiles living up in Ephesus, way up in the north. If indeed, I'm reading the first verse of chapter 3. Okay, first verse of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, Okay, the stewardship of God's grace. God entrusted something to the Apostle Paul. What was it he entrusted to him to be a steward of? The wisdom, the truth, the truth of the gospel, the wisdom of God. It was given to me for you that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. The revelation, do you hear that? So the revelation, God made known to Paul the mystery of the faith. He did it on his Damascus. He began that revelation on the Damascus Road, and he continued it in his three years in in Arabia until he was ready to just become a full-functioning apostle. As I wrote before in brief, verse 4 now, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul has great, great insight. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying the faith of Jesus Christ is a mystery that has been revealed and made known now to the apostles and the prophets in the Spirit of truth. Okay, And they are stewards of it, and they are sharing it with the world. <clears throat> To be specific, verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. One of the great mysteries of the gospel is that it was for everyone, not just the Jews. Mm -hmm. The Jews, remember, thought that God was only for them. They were his chosen people. Everyone else was unsaved. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest mysteries of the gospel that Christ came to bring is the fullness of God's truth. And the fullness of his truth was God's love is for everyone. And so he's saying then uh, of the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. I think it's a very fascinating line, administration of the mystery. The church is administrating the mysteries of God, okay? And now I'm going to tell you why I'm saying the church in just a second. Which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, Verse 10 is our key here this morning. In order that the manifold wisdom of God, <coughs> that's what we're talking, the manifold wisdom. What does the word manifold mean here? Complete, Complete mm-hmm. broad, wide, full. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through who? Through
1: faith.
0: Read it with me. Mm-hmm. Now, what does your, your Bible say in front of you? Rulers and authorities. Okay.
1: Mine says Christ Jesus, our Lord.
0: Made known through the church oh, okay. to the rulers oh, and the, authorities. Okay. Does yours not say church in it?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that's, but see how quickly we read over things? We read over things because we have a predetermined way of thinking about things. Guys, don't miss this. If I teach you anything else from the Gospel of John, let it be known that the Gospel of John reveals the mystery of the power of God. And this is why we're stopping to look in Ephesians and other places, because Paul picks up on it. Jesus Christ gave the wisdom of the Spirit, the wisdom of truth, His wisdom. We're going to come back to John in a minute, because the wisdom of the Spirit is the wisdom of Jesus, and it's all the wisdom of the Father, too, which we'll read. But He gave it to them so that they could continue to give it on so that it would continue clear up until the time of us and until he comes again, okay? The church is never without need for the wisdom of God, for it to be the administrated, for the mystery to be administrated. Now, that word, the church, that's the word ekklesia, the Greek word ekklesia, okay? You've all heard that word before. Ecclesia. it's not just a
1: coffee
0: shop out on the west side of Wichita. <laughs> Ecclesia is, it's a good coffee shop, by the way. <laughs> um, it literally means, it's the word that scripture, the apostles, the Holy Spirit guided them to choose when he talks about the church. Whenever it talks about the church. What does it literally mean in Greek? It means a called, it could mean called out or called together, community for a specific purpose. So there is, in other words, there is an identity around these people. And their identity is what? The church, the ecclesia. They are called together. They're different from the world. They've been called out of the world. Now, as we're going to read in John 17, and we're not quite to 17 yet, we're going to see how Jesus says the church is supposed to actually be in the world. Okay. We'll get there. don't want to get ahead of myself. So even though we're called out, we're still called in. <laughs> kind of like, you won't see me and then you will see me, okay? Yeah. It's a little confusing, but, but it'll all become clear. Now, I, I took you to that. Now, I want to take you over to another letter of the Apostle Paul in Timothy. Now, here's a letter that he's writing to a person, to Timothy, who is one of his presbyters, one of his ministers that he has put in place, uh, uh, has served under him and now is becoming a, uh, his own a leader in Christ. Uh, and in this book, he talks about what it, the qualifications for being a bishop, the qualifications for being an elder, a presbyter, and how the church should operate. But look with me in about uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. This is chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3. In verse 14, Paul says this to Timothy, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed... I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Purpose of his letter is to help instruct Timothy how to be, and how not only Timothy, but everyone should conduct themselves in the household of God. And then he, Paul just writes this in there. There's a comma there. And then he has this phrase that is so beautiful. The household of God, which is the church. Okay. The household of God, which is the Church of the Living God, comma, another phrase to help explain it, which is the pillar and support of the truth. The Church, the Church, the Ecclesia. This mist, the mis- What Paul goes on to write in other places in his epistles. The church, which is the mystical (coughs) body of Jesus Christ. Christ is the church. The church is Christ, of which Jesus is the head. He uses that analogy of the body, and we are all members of it. And every single member of that church has a role and a purpose and a gift. These are all things we learn from reading Paul's epistle, epistles. But I bring them up this morning. Even though we're studying John, because as you come back to John with me, I want you to hear that Jesus Christ is giving his apostles authority and a deposit of wisdom that didn't just die with them. Had to continue. And it still continues today. Now, we have some challenges to that today. Okay? It all looked pretty good when there was only one church in the world. Okay? It's a little challenging to figure out how to defend when there are thousands of church, different kinds of churches arguing about what they all believe, mm-hmm. right? Who's got the truth? <laughs> you have a question, Judy? hmm yeah.
1: In uh, Ephesians 3, 9, where uh-huh. it says, uh, and to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery of... Let's see. No, that's not mm-hmm. Okay. That's number 10. Yes. That through the, the church of the... Manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and was according to the eternal purpose of which was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. What does that mean?
0: Yours is just reading a little different out of order, but the first words you read were through the church. Mm -hmm. The key that I wanted you to catch there is through the church. Through the church the wisdom of God is being made known and administered on on and in verse 11 you went you finished in 11 this was in accordance with the eternal purpose of which he carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord uh,
1: and every time they say church there's
0: they're thinking and speaking of Jesus right because he was the church they're not thinking that that the they're thinking they're not hearing that when John is writing Jesus talking to him the last night but yes that's what they learn through their wisdom, through the gift of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit is and that's why Paul writes so extensively about the church is Christ and Christ is the church and we are all members of him. So we are not members so so here, here's a mystic, there's a mystical truth here that that you've just got to get okay if you're ever going to really understand it took me years to get it okay so if you don't get it don't feel bad it took me years to get it. Okay, um, we're not just card-carrying members of an organization. Okay, I, I brought that point up about Pastor Mark earlier because he heard me talk about that. and I, I, So he challenged me to write an article, so I wrote an article. He said, I like your thoughts. Write an article. Maybe we can get it published in a magazine somewhere. So I wrote an article. And, and that article, I titled that article, I don't know if it'll ever get published or not. If the people we send it to don't publish it, I'll send it to somebody else. There you go. Um, but I'll share with you the gist of it. The, we're not just card-carrying members, and I don't even use that in the article. I don't know why I pulled out my wallet. I mean, it's just you know, I I have a I have a, a card somewhere that says I'm a minister of the gospel as a mem. I'm an ordained member of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now that isn't that isn't it? That's my health insurance card. I'm just making a dramatic point here. You know, I don't know where it is. I have a card carrying card that proves that I'm an ordained minister of the church. Okay, but, but that ID but that's I not have but two IDs here. Yeah, I have to have two. But that's not, and I also have a certificate that years ago was given to me as a member of the church. You know, and I have another certificate that years ago that said I was baptized. You know, but but those things in and of themselves, you see, we're not members of an organization. Mm. Okay. We're members of a mystery, the Church of Jesus. We're not. I wish I could just read this article to you. Then it would be clearer. Because at the moment, I can't remember everything I wrote. But but you my point is. So not till it's published. Um, <laughs> here's my point. The title of it was "The Church Option." Question mark. The Church Option. Question mark. Here's the problem in our world. Everybody thinks church is an option. When did the church become an option? Was it Did it sound optional in what we just read? I mean, this is the mystery of God. This is the called out community. This is where the wisdom of God is kept and stored and shared and preached. Somehow in our evangelical world of the modern era, we have lost the doctrine and understanding of the church. Mm -hmm. We think it's just all, hey, the gospel's the gospel, it's the good news, just go share it. People pray, they're saved, hallelujah, they're saved, add another name to heaven. But if we never teach them that the church is where life in Christ is administered and it is lived out, you cannot separate Jesus from the church The gospel that these guys preached, when they went out and preached, why is he writing a whole letter to the Ephesians and to Timothy? And why is he writing letters that talk so much about the church? You read the whole New Testament. Sit down and read it with new eyes. It's not just about getting saved. It's about living life in the mystery known as the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's in him that we live and move and have our being, as Paul says. That means that I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus Christ. And guess what else? I belong to you. You belong to me. And we have to bear one another's burdens because we together form a mystical union in Christ. Now that's deeper than anything any cult is out there teaching people. Why do people join cults? Because they draw them into this family-like feeling. Why do people join gangs? Because they draw them into this family-like feeling. They need a place to belong. We all need a place to belong. Guess what? The best place to belong is the only place that can save you, and that's the Church of Jesus Christ. And and we don't even realize what we have because we're not teaching it. It's been lost. It's just, I I can't even tell. I, I don't know one evangelical preacher or teacher or pastor that teaches what I'm teaching you today. And I'm not, I'm not bragging about myself. It's just something that I believe. I, I'm, I just firmly believe maybe it's why I'm here. Maybe it's why God dragged me through all these other churches to get to where I am to finally have a place and a position to preach something. And I don't know. But I'm just saying, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. If we don't figure out that the church of Jesus Christ is just not some organization that we can join because we want to agree with this style of worship or that style of worship or this kind of music or that kind of music. The church of Jesus Christ is his mystical body, and it's in it we find life. Never in the history of God's people has there been salvation outside of God's people. I know I'm digressing a lot. It's our. Is it 12 o'clock already? Oh my word! We only got through. We only got through three or four verses. Okay. Never in the history of God has there been salvation outside God's people. The church didn't just hear. People tend to think the church started just on the day of Pentecost. I think you've probably heard me. I probably said it somewhere on a podcast. I don't know that the church was born on Pentecost. That's not accurate. The church of God has been in existence ever since God called a people together. In the Old Testament, that church went by the Hebrew word kahal. The kahal meant the sacred gathering. And when they were gathered in the Spirit of God to worship God, they were something, they were not individual. Okay? And in that kahal, God had this people ever since he gave them an identity and called them together. And it, So on the day of Pentecost, what happened is a new church wasn't born, the people of God were transformed. Now to become filled with the Holy Spirit. Still the people of God. And now to become the full people of God, open to all the Gentiles. So Peter goes out on the street and preaches. is 3,000 people get saved. But did he leave them with saved? No. What did he do? What's the first thing he did. What did they say? They said, what must we do to be saved? Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. What must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a direct quote from the Apostle Peter from Scripture. That's the church, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Baptism, repentance, the identity. Wow. Yes, Jackie.
1: Wasn't the church at the very, very beginning because God created everything and Jesus was with God at the time
0: of that creation. It's fascinating he that you mentioned that. And <laughs> it's spread the
1: knowledge to him at this
0: point. It's fascinating that you picked up on that thought. Okay. I went back as far as the called people which maybe we could get with we stretch it, you know, maybe Noah. Because Jesus Noah because he, he had a, a called his family, you know, and group. but your point Father Alexander Shememen, who is a Russian Orthodox priest from uh, the last century, who's passed away now. A great writer, wonderful thinker. He said, I think you go all the way back to heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, God, you had the Holy Trinity, and you had all the angels. Mm-hmm. And there was the church. Yeah. There was the called out of God's creation. So that's interesting. You you basically said the same it's thing Father Schmemann said. At this point in
1: time, he's knowing that the disciples yeah. are ready to yeah. comprehend a little yeah. Yeah. Of what he's about to share with
0: them. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: haven't even
0: realized what Yeah, they haven't realized it yet. yet. So we'll end this morning with this thought. The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own authority. Jesus says, "Whatever he hears, he speaks, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you." And he Jesus says, "I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you because all that the Father has is mine." Here's Trinitarian theology. Yeah. Everything of God's is everything of Jesus. Everything's of God, of God the Father. Everything of the Father's is everything of Jesus. Everything of the Father and Jesus is everything of the Holy Spirit's. Mm-hmm. The three in one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay? Um, I've got a page full of notes I didn't get to. But um, let's just let's, let's just end on like that me, thought.
1: Me, myself, and I. i the same thing,
0: yeah. But on yeah.
1: me, I'm I, yeah. and I'm myself.
0: So as we get back together next week, we're going to look at the other portion we read, verses 16 through 22, because there's a lot of important stuff there. But I needed to digress this week because I wanted to make a point. we got to answer this question. Where is that truth today? Now, we didn't really answer it because we have this problem in our world. And the problem is called the fracturing of the church. For a thousand years, there was one church. Nobody argued where the church was. It, was. it was one. And whether you lived in Rome, whether you lived in Jerusalem, or whether you lived in wherever, in northern Africa, you were part of the one, what we hear in our creeds, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Catholic meaning universal. Apostolic meaning Handed down, passed down this wisdom, you see, this deposit of truth. And it was all, everything was great. East and West split in the year 1054. Really, too much history to teach you there. They split before that in some ways, but officially in 1054. But then 500 years later, in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation happens. And now Western Christianity is fragmented. And... And so we struggle now to understand where is that truth? Who's got it? Do the Lutherans have it? He started the Protestant Reformation. Does he have it? Do 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 the Mennonites have it? Do they who's got it? That's a bigger question than we have time for, unless you got about three more hours. <laughs> this afternoon I'd love to talk to you about it. But yes, what's your question?
1: I always thought that all the different religions would be like all of the parts of God's body, like your arm, your leg, your head. You, know,
0: you mean all the different churches or all the different religions?
1: Yeah, it, everything that believes in, God hmm.
0: in Jesus. So, so God. different types of churches. Because yeah.
1: Basically, they all believe in that one higher power. Yeah. They just don't work the same way as others do. And
0: or and and I think it. that's why I think that's why we as 21st century Christians we must have a consistent theology that translates back to the ancient church if we don't we have no leg to stand on because Jesus is carrying it through now sure as I say that so what is that what is that that we stand on and that's why I believe the creeds are so important the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed which I've shared with you before here and you have a copy of it in your Bibles I've passed out written in the third century fourth century I'm sorry by all of the church together in council said, they hammered it out and said, this is what it means to be Christian. And as much as any of us today, I wish with all my heart that we could all just be one. And we're going to read about that in John chapter 17, okay? And I believe we can be if it weren't for our pride. (laughs) But the reality is, There is so much fracturing in the body of Christ worldwide. Each has gone his own way. Pretty soon the Calvinists didn't like what the Lutherans were saying, and so they started a new church, and so the Mennonites didn't like what they were saying, they started a new church, and on and on and on and on and on. But I will tell you this. There can only be one church. Okay? There can only be one truth, and all truth is God's truth. (laughs) So where we, we have to ask the question, where do we find that one church? Yes.
1: I was listening to a man yesterday, and he was talking about even just currently the past number of years, you know, when we went to school, a lot of us had, we pledged allegiance to the flag, mm-hmm. and we read the Bible, and we had prayer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And even in just these Short years, you know. Look at us. God's been politely asked to leave the schools yeah. and a lot of the churches, yeah. and He politely did. Yeah. You know, it's just really.
0: Well, I think the sad, tr- saddest truth of all of that is that God is is that many churches have left God.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, but but I want you to hear something here. I, the church, the the church of the Nazarene. We're meeting today. We're in the church of the Nazarene. I'm an ordained minister in the church of the Nazarene. We're
1: We have an identity,
0: okay? Um, It's an evangelical identity. Uh, We believe in the power of the gospel to save and transform lives. Um, But read our historical statements. Read the historical statement of the Church of the Nazarene in the front of the manual sometime. We, as an identified people of God, we were just formed out of a crisis a hundred and some years ago. You know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, we were formed out of a out of an, a need for his holiness in our world. And we did the 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 men and women who were leading the church at that time did the best they could to form what they thought was a union that became known as the Church of the Nazarene to preach the message of holiness. They didn't start out because they felt that the Methodists were worshiping wrong, or the Presbyterians were worshiping wrong, or the Catholics were worshiping. Wrong. They didn't do that. They started with an identity around the holy spirit. And in their statement they carefully crafted this understanding that we acknowledge that we believe ourselves to be a part of the one true historic church. Yeah. We claim the creeds of the first 5 Christian centuries. We don't if we're not teaching that to our people then shame on us because that's our connection right there. That's our connection. We have to have a connection to the historic church, or, or what we're saying to the world is, God just waited until uh, 1908 to start the right movement. <laughs> well, now that's kind of what the Mormons say, and all the. Other, you see what I'm saying? What's our connection? Yes. Can you bring
1: a copy of the creed that you handed out? I'll sure,
0: post- I'll bring it again next week. I'll bring it again next week for you. Can't, can't read it enough. Read the creed every day. Pray the creed every day. Let me tell you why you should pray the creed every day. Because it's forming. It is what we believe. It is self-identifying. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, begotten, not made. You know, you can go on and on and on. But read it every day. It forms your faith. It reminds you. The fact that we quit teaching it all those years ago and quit using it, you know, you just there's a, there's one that looks like that, yeah. But
1: if it was that back then, and it was not
0: on white people. Well, that's a good question. Why do we why do we do anything the way we do it? We we we've gotten lazy. Uh, well, church has become an option. Uh, we're teaching it wrong. So let's wake up to the truth. So I've gone on. I've preached at you a little more than I've taught you. So sorry about that. It's 12:09. Let's uh, let's close with prayer. Let's praise. Praise the Lord and close the prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time together. I thank you for these who have come today to learn. As we prayed in our opening prayer, illumine our hearts. Do not let us leave this place with my thoughts, but let us leave with your thoughts. With the instruction of the, an application of the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, of which I am not capable of really delivering, but you are capable of delivering through me. So cover over anything I've said that's wrong or misleading. and do not let anyone be led astray. But Father God, continue to teach us and lead us. And we will give you the praise through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever. And through the ages of ages. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Colver inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.